Hello and welcome to NFTeach. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy, recording stateside for you today. Been on a bit of a hiatus, but I am stoked to be back with a very special guest. I'm going to be joined by Adam Brotman. Um, Adam is really interesting in terms of his involvement in the NFT space for a couple of reasons. One, uh, Adam has a lot of unique experiences uh, with major corporate brands. So Adam was the chief digital officer and the general manager of digital ventures for Starbucks. And he was also the EVP of global retail operations. He then was the president and CEO of J. Crew. And now he runs a company called Brightloom, uh, helping brands figure out how they can resonate with their consumers. So we're going to be talking about NFTs and how NFTs and consumer brands uh, will interact in the future. So I think you're really going to enjoy this one. This is a different episode, uh, a different type of podcast. I would say that this is an intermediate episode. So if you don't have any knowledge of NFTs, it might be a little difficult to follow along. But I am really, really stoked to be back. I'm sure you heard yesterday the big announcement from my good friend, Pack Rip Ewing. Uh, the NFT is part of Pack Rip Media. It is a really, really huge venture and one that I am most excited about. So this is the first Pack Rip Media Presents NFT episode. Going to have to get used to saying that. Uh, but really excited to get into this with you today with Adam Brotman, my special guest. Going to be bringing a bunch of episodes coming to you in the next week. Have a lot of great guests lined up. But for now... Let's talk to the CEO of Brightloom, Adam Brotman. Collecting just got physical. NFTs have changed the game, giving you the ability to show off your moments online. But now you can showcase your collection in real life. My Moment allows you to turn any digital moment into a physical card, display top shot moments, bored apes, hash musks, or even low-effort punks on your desk or in your man cave or woman cave. Just visit mymoment.com, and that is my, M-O-M-I-N-T.com, and use promo code NFTeach for 25% off your first order. That's M-Y-M-O-M-I-N-T.com, and promo code NFTeach for 25% off. And we are back. I am joined by my very special guest today, Adam Brotman. Adam, welcome to NFT. How are you today? I'm good, Jeremy. Good to be here. Listen, the initial entry point for everyone into this uh, this podcast is always asking, what in the world got you into NFTs in the first place? So why don't you sort of describe your journey into this weird space that is avatars and JPEGs? Yeah, <laughs> avatars and JPEGs. Uh, yeah. You know, for me, it was... Um, I was going down the crypto rabbit hole a little later than I think a lot of people in this space uh, around the holidays of this year. I got involved uh, bec- uh, with crypto in general because a friend of mine was doing a venture fund in crypto and he asked me to be involved and to invest. And I said yes to both because I, I, my friend Andy and, and he started a, his venture fund and I just started going down the crypto rabbit hole and I went Bitcoin Michael Saylor, Bitcoin Standard, you know, the usual thing. Then I started reading books and books about it, and including history of Ethereum. And you ended up with a podcast I listened to, a Laura Shin Unchained podcast, where she's interviewing Mark Cuban, talking about 
how he sees NFTs and what he would do with NFTs as a consumer brand, i.e. the Dallas Mavericks and how he would use, how he would, the online offline crossover potential of NFTs, how Ethereum and smart contracts got him turned on. I was listening to Gary Vaynerchuk at the same time, also talking about what he was about to do with vFriends. And I was like, holy shit, this is, this is even more interesting than crypto. And I was pretty interested in crypto uh, at the time. And so that's, that's what got me into it. And I will tell you a funny story. My actual entry point was, um, was trying to get some, buy a board ape. And I thought it was so cool what they were doing. I mean, this was like four days, maybe 10 days after they launched. We're talking really early. And and I had never bought an NFT, so it's like really scary with the, you know, <laughs> copying and pasting and the wallets and all this crazy stuff. And uh, I ended up buying an alt ape, uh, not by mistake, but on purpose. It was a great one called Graffiti Board Apes. And I'll be honest with you, the, the, the little community around the Graffiti Board Ape alt ape collection on OpenSea, wonderful community. It was my first taste of like community and how community around a collection can happen. And so they they... They got me involved. I bought a bunch of graffiti board apes and um, got, and you know, they gifted me a board ape as like a thank you. It was just amazing. It was a warm, this is back when like board apes were like, you know, the floor was like 0.2. And oh, you know, those were the days, Adam. Yeah. So anyways, that's, that's what got me into it. And I, you know, at that point I was just hooked. I mean, for all the reasons we all are, like, it's just, it's, it's the most magical thing happening in digital right now in the world, in my opinion, honestly, I mean that for real. And, and you have a wealth of experiences with a bunch of different consumer brands. I described that in the in the intro uh, before we jumped on. And I guess I'm I'm curious to get your perspective. You know, you've had you've been a co CEO of J Crew. Um, you've been a chief digital officer for Starbucks. Like, wh where do you see the sort of future of consumer brands and NFTs going? Because I mean, I think that's the part of this. This podcast started as a way to educate people new to the space around NFTs. Thus, the name NFTeach. But I realize that even if you just take Top Shot, the vast majority of basketball fans still have no damn idea what the hell an NFT is. So the, the, right. the space is still so small and it's so early. Like, wh where do you see, you know, your average consumer interacting with an NFT through a, a consumer brand? So it's a great question, and it's it, to your point, it's the one it's the one thing that I I think about the most. I think in the space and. To me, what I'm what I'm guessing is going to happen on some level is that brands are going to realize that they already uh, give uh, reward and engage with their customers with digital assets. They do it today. They do it through points and loyalty programs. They do it through how they interact on social media and how they promote their brands uh, in, in paid advertising. And I think what's going to happen is that brands are going to realize that the digital asset that they that they engage with their customers with could actually be an nft and if it is it has a lot of value to them as the brand and to the consumer that doesn't exist today and i'll give you an example like if you if you end up uh rewarding somebody uh for in, in, engaging with your consumer brand with an nft it doesn't really cost you very much more it's not it's not quite as it's not free but you know there's minting costs and some other things but the truth is it, it for very little incremental cost as a brand you could be rewarding somebody with the same i'll call it digital asset that you would have given them in a centralized way but now you can give them ownership of that digital asset and 
you know, it might have extra value to the consumer because it might rise in value because it's a tradable asset. It might have extra value to the consumer because, you know, when you own something, it's different than when you when you are just, you know, going to their site and getting points or seeing something. So th there's there's both emotional and potentially actual value to owning something in that same interaction between a brand and a consumer. So like instead of rewards, instead of, um, uh, you know, just access to some area of your website or something like that, you can just, you can accomplish the same thing, but add the extra value of, of, of giving an NFT. So I think, yeah. I think that's a starting point. Yeah, and, and Rarible had Taco Bell. Taco Bell did digital NFT tacos. They sold out nearly instantly. Um, you're seeing, um, I think Budweiser has signed a deal with Vayner NFT, and now they are are, are going to be doing some work together. So you see it happening. But you know, to your point around minting, minting costs, minting costs are only really an issue right now. Once ETH2 starts and where you move toward Palm, some of these lower cost alternatives, you know, you can really eliminate that barrier. Um, and I think you're right in the sense that this idea of having something valuable, um, because for me as an NFT collector, I would be, I would be drawn to a specific brand based off of the NFT they were offering. I know that for sure. I don't, I'm, I'm not particularly a huge Starbucks drinker myself. My wife is, I'm more of a Dunkin' guy myself. Um, but if Starbucks had some sort of, uh, NFT program going on with a golden cup, um, similar to what their my Starbucks rewards, you know, would I would certainly be interested in in going there to take my chances. It's like the scratch off lottery ticket. Well, yeah, in fact, well, exactly. Uh, well, Starbucks does a Starbucks does a really cool thing right now called they they've been doing it called Starbucks for Life, where they you know you can earn rewards kind of like McDonald's Monopoly through different purchases, and those are just stickers on a microsite. So you could imagine how cool that would be if Starbucks did something like, like that with NFTs. Um, the other thing I'd say, and I, I, wrote a, I wrote a tweet thread about this, is that um, with, it's, not, it's not just the fact that the rewards could be an NFT, it's that um, there's now this additional layer that doesn't exist anywhere outside of, in my opinion, Web3, which is now the brand could say, okay, I know who holds my NFT and I can airdrop them. Uh, uh, surprise and delight. I can airdrop them uh, NFTs in, in different collections, and and I can have a whole other, literally and figuratively, other layer of engagement with my consumers, my fans, my members that I couldn't have had otherwise because it's just a different dynamic around ownership and around wallets and and uh, around the fact that you can you know you know who's holding an NFT and who's not holding an NFT at any given moment. It's really it just unlocks a lot. And not to mention, um, if we want to stay in the coffee vein, I can imagine the pumpkin spice latte NFT getting airdropped and soliciting artists from the NFT community to create different versions of these things. I mean, there's a lot there uh, to really sink your your teeth into. What do you think the onboarding? Like, you're obviously very aware of NFTs, very knowledgeable about them, based off your experience. You talked about board apes, yeah. like. What about your average Joe consumer? And what do you think that that sort of on-ramp is going to look like for them in terms of getting them? Because still, there's still a lot of why Why in the hell would I want to own this JPEG? There's a lot of, um, I, I don't know, it's not very clear. Because I think, to your point around Web3, it's similar to Bitcoin in the sense that people don't understand blockchain as a technology. So then when you try to explain 
the idea of, of this, it doesn't make much sense. So how do you think the average consumer is going to become knowledgeable about this? It, it, it's the, the $64 trillion question, right? So the, the, it, I, I, I think you're right. Right, right now, <clears throat> you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty decently digitally savvy guy. And when I, what was it, three months ago when I took the plunge to buy a graffiti board ape and then start buying real board apes and other NFTs, uh, it was scary. I would literally use the word it was scary for me. Like it was clunky and scary because, you know, you're dealing with real money and you don't understand it. And I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm not as digitally savvy as, you know, most of the people in this space by any stretch, but I, I'm not a, I'm not a total noob when it comes to like playing around with new digital platforms. And it was, it was difficult. So I think there's a major chasm right now in terms of the ability to onboard, um, you know, average normie or whatever into the space. Now, what I'd say to answer your question about how is this going to play out is my guess is that like you just said about like minting costs and alternative blockchain side chains, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in terms of layers and, and other things that are going to help with, with speed and, 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 um, cost. But there's also, my guess is that we, people are going to start to figure out how to come up with things like combination custodial and non-custodial onboarding. And, and I, I've been thinking a lot about that lately to be like, why couldn't it be that if somebody wants to give me the ability to buy an NFT and, and, and own an NFT that I could do so in a, in a, I'll call it a, in a more traditional on-ramp like Coinbase did with, with, with Bitcoin. And if I want to bring, you know, it's, you know, if I, if I say I'm ready, Hey, I've got my MetaMask wallet or whatever, I'm ready to go ahead and custody my own, um, NFTs, you just pull it off, you know, you just transfer it off the site. So I feel like things like that, I, it doesn't even have to be non Ethereum to in order for, I think an on-ramp to occur that could be sort of the best of both worlds. But I, I'm, I'm waiting to see that develop. And I've actually put some stuff out there on Twitter and people responded and there's a lot, there's actually a number of really cool companies working on things like that. The other thing I'd say is, of course, you start to get into things like the uh, flow blockchain and other things like that, where you could really see uh, how the on-ramp could occur. And then, you know, marketplaces and other folks could allow for, there's not one yet, I don't think really, but for like flow marketplaces and things like that. So there's, to me, I feel it's going to be one of those two sort of types of routes or both or something like that well in the you know the idea of a flow as an option i'm really learning more about palm uh that's been one that's been really interesting to me but i think that for the average consumer too the the crypto's got to be on the back end not the front end it's got to be fiat driven because for someone new entering the space, if they can use their debit card, they're a hell of a lot less scared of the whole process. Because for me, I did not have a lot of crypto experience before. I was very blockchain knowledgeable because I had been doing a lot of work educating educators around blockchain technology. But I had not really, I knew about crypto, but I hadn't purchased crypto, exchanged crypto, etc. So for me, the biggest bear of the process is really gas fees and um, exchanging fiat money for crypto. So I think, you know, what makes Top Shot such an easy product to jump into is the fact that you can just take your debit card, you yeah. can start purchasing moments from jump. And it's, it's pretty clean UX and UI to, you know, it's it's easy to use. So I would say okay. that if they can, 100%. if you can, get, if you put the crypto on the back end for the people who want it, but you could on the front end make fiat the driver, I think that would really help. I, I agree. I, I, I like the way you put that, put crypto on the back end, because I, I would say that like, I bought one of those just just to play with it. I bought um, 
an NFT from CNN through this thing called the CNN Vault, and it was powered by some cool startups that were helping them. And and it was like as easy as you could ever imagine. Like you're on your phone, you're doing Apple Pay to buy an NFT. The problem though, and it was good, and I'm not knocking it. The problem is like, now what? Like I can't, what am I gonna do with that NFT? Like I can sit there and tell somebody I own this NFT. I can go look at it on their site. But to me, that doesn't do the trick. Like if I can't trade it, um, if I can't see it go up in value, if I don't have any sort of other utility from it, then to me, you didn't need the blockchain for that. Like it, it, it was almost like you told me I own an NFT, but like I, I, you have to go a step further in my opinion. So I feel like, I think you're right. Top Shot, of course, did it because they built in a homegrown marketplace on top of the uh, on-ramp process. And so it made it very real that I owned it. And I, I, I knew that because I could see what I owned. And when I traded it or sold it, I no longer owned it and someone else did. So it brought the blockchain to life, even though the blockchain was on the back end. I think we need somebody to sort of take that same on-ramp, but sort of widen it out. And, and I think when that starts to happen across consumer brands, consumer brands are going to do all sorts of stuff. Like, because they can, like, it'll be interesting how, as a consumer brand, I liked what Stella did with Zed. And Atari did with Zed, although I'm sure Atari and Zed are going to go nuts together with doing all sorts of stuff. But the like Stella, which is, I think, ironically, an, an Anheuser-Busch uh, related company to what Gary Vee is doing. They that was so smart of them, Stella UK or whatever, to, to sponsor and do the custom horses. That's one way to get involved as a consumer brand in NFTs is to sort of you don't even have to have your own collection. You don't have to get into the technology, but you can just use your brand, but infuse your brand into the actual nft community and world that's one way to do it but i i actually think the better way to do it or the more interesting way to do it is to take things like what you would have normally done with qr codes and and loyalty and, uh, and other other sort of traditional web two web one engagement in the digital world and infuse it with your own nfts and start to get um and get really uh, creative with it so essentially putting people's medicine in their ice cream, right? Like you're you're getting the, this NFT experience for them, but they're not really feeling it because it's just that reward system for that brand. And then they're they're into it without even knowing they're into it. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I would exactly. I mean, I like that in my, uh, you, you and I both have kids and it's like, you know, definitely putting the, the cough medicine inside the sippy cup. Right. But the, but the, but it's actually, you know, to me, it's all about optionality. If you can give, if you can, the best way to onboard a consumer, and I'm, I'm speaking from experience because, you know, we, we did some pretty pioneering things at Starbucks that, you know, paying with your phone, like we did pay with your phone before Apple Pay and Android Pay. Um, we did uh, a, a really sophisticated loyalty program. And, uh, but you had to, you had to actually load your Starbucks card and pay with your Starbucks card in order to get the points. And, and so we, I, I'm pretty experienced with this idea of like, how do you, how do you onboard people to something that's new and different and potentially digitally scary? And I think one of the keys is to um, make it optional, not mandatory. Don't, in other words, don't put a roadblock in their consumer experience. If they don't do something digitally, uh, I'll call it, you know, uh, challenging, like give, give, make it so that like, oh, you can join our rewards program by just uh, grabbing one of these plastic cards and going to your laptop and then going to starbucks.com and then registering it and all that kind of stuff or you can download our app 
um, and do kind of a digital provisioning on your app of our card and join our loyalty program. And you never even need a plastic card or to ever have even pulled out your laptop. So like you kind of give them that option. And what will happen is like go where the puck is going and with the option. And what will happen is the adoption curve will be exponential. Yeah, that, that's crazy. So one of the things that's unique about the NFT space, uh, and I wrote about this in, in one of my blogs before I started podcasting, right? Board Ape is an example, was this collection of 10,000, is this collection of 10,000 JPEGs. And the community itself is the driver, really. I mean, the, the team is very much in the background in terms of the direction in which the community goes. And, you know, they start making you know, in real life merch and selling it on the secondary market for 10, 12, $14,000, right? Hats, shirts. And so this JPEG, this, this NFT transcends into a real life streetwear brand, right? And then people are leveraging the real life streetwear to then get to trade it for apes. So you, you have this duality of, of this NFT driving people to buying physical merch. And then you have the reciprocity where that same physical merch is being used to exchange for this, this digital asset, right? And I guess my question is, if you're a consumer brand, how do you maintain a level of control over the direction of the community that uses that NFT, right? Because we know with what's going on and you've been really engaged in the crypto funk um, saga, I guess you could yes. call it, uh, in terms of intellectual property. Like yes. how do you as a brand you know, prevent the community from taking a wild left where not maybe your brand is is associated uh, or, or there's things happening within this NFT community that don't necessarily align with the values of your brand? Well, I don't know how you prevent it. Uh, I I mean, obviously, we're, we're watching it unfold for the first time right now. I mean, uh, I was watching a Twitter thread this morning where somebody did a bored ape beer and the question came up of obviously they can use their board ape jpeg image uh that they own but the question is can they use the word board ape and um you know beanie was pointing out that it was sort of dicey potentially if you don't get permission and it was just very interesting right like and i i you know we'll have to watch to see how that unfolds i i I'm my, I tip my hat to the, I don't know if they're called Yuga labs or the guys behind board apes, but like, they've just been, they've had an, in, they've had an instinct in my opinion for this space, like Steve jobs did for the computer space. Like they, they've had an, you know, they couldn't have had an experience. So like they've just had an, it, the sharpest instinct I've ever seen versus like when I, I'm, I'm going to be very interesting to watch Larva labs because they're, they seem to be, I don't know. They seem to be going in more of a centralized direction, whereas the Bored Ape guys are a little bit more willing, in fact, by by design to push the envelope. I mean, when the Bored Apes gave full commercial rights, and yes, they need to clarify some more stuff, they actually they were they were they were intentionally by design pushing the envelope to say, well, let's get into this. Let's see what happens, right? So I and, and it happened. The community took over, right? They yeah. they took the wheel. Uh, yeah. but but then contrast that with like uh you know, a, a well-known established global brand, right? And and what do you, if if you're advising a, a well-known, well-established brand, what, what would be the sort of parameters that you would think a brand might want to put on a community or would you keep it as open as 
um, you know, what Yuga's done with Board Apes? What does that look like in terms of of with a consumer brand? I think it looks very similar to what Yuga's doing. I don't, I don't, I mean, Yuga's made no bones about the fact that they feel like they, they, they own the Board Ape logo, Board Ape Yacht Club term, maybe even the word Board Ape. I mean, they, they've, they've, the BAYC, like they, they've, they've treated it from the beginning, like, Hey, we've got a brand, but we're willing to sort of push the arm. They're, they're an NFT native brand, which I think is a very, I've been thinking about this very interesting concept. Like they were born as a brand, as an NFT collection. And then to your point, all these other things have sprung out of it. To me though, a consumer brand like, uh, you know, Mercedes or, um, you know, uh, you could just go on and on and on adidas you know nike um starbucks like they they the one thing that makes you successful in any emerging kind of magical digital area is that you've got to you've got to get your head into the space of the community at large you got to like you can't just impose your brand's will and and prior successful tactics on a new paradigm and you have to sort of think like an NFT community member in a most organic and authentic way, meaning you you have to understand how the community works. It doesn't mean you change, just like the Board Ape guys, you don't, you don't change the basic principles of business, but you do change the basic principles of engagement and community and, and even technology. So that's so what I'd say is if I was advising, you know, Nike, I'd say, hey, create a collection. Like, but create create a collection that the that the community would think is interesting and create utility around that collection in a way that the community would think is interesting. Not the way that you think is interesting as a brand. Like that's, you almost have to like, they need to like grab somebody out of the community and say, that's like a, you know, one of these people that we all interact with on Twitter and say, Hey, can you come in here? And like, if you were going to create a Nike collection, what would you do? Like, and why? And then they need to do that and then just have their own, um, you know, still apply their same principles of brand appropriateness, brand ownership, trademarks, copyrights, like that, those things are, while they're not clear, they're not out the door. You just have to take yeah. an inside out approach, not just try to bolt it on to what you're, you know, what you're used to doing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, I've heard you mention utility a couple of times. And I think that, like, I think four months ago, three months ago, which is like 17 years in NFT. Uh, it's like an NFT lifetime, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, utility was sort of the, the, the buzzword. It was the sort of um, thing that was happening. And then what was really interesting is then there's like this counterculture push to say, well, the art can just be cool. It doesn't have to have some massive add-on or additional value that you can do with it. Um, I, I'm interested to sort of from your perspective on when you entered to where it is now, what have been some of the waves that you've seen in, in noticed in terms of the, the way the community's attitude has either evolved or changed over time, just in a short period of time? Well, yeah, it's, I mean, I've only been involved in this space for five months or four months and you're right. It's, it seems like way longer. And, and I would say that um, if it depends on what you're, it, it de- I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but it depends on what you're trying to accomplish, let's call it as an NFT buyer or collector. You know, if you're, um, if you love something, uh, meaning the art and you want to own it, 
you know, that's what matters, right? And so if it happens to go up in value or not, uh, if there happens to be liquidity in it or not, like, fine, who cares, right? Like, it's that's not why you're necessarily doing it. But if you're looking to buy the NFT as part of a, like, and I think this is what most people in the community feel, like, as part of a hybrid of one part uh, art, one part... Uh, utility and value. Utility, well, one part investor. I mean, utility... To me, utility is important if you're trying to get some value out of it. Now, doesn't it, the value doesn't have to be because you're going to flip or sell your JPEG. The value could be because you're having fun, you're getting community, um, and and or some other like real world value, like you get access to some concert or you get a discount on some brand. So the utility can come in multiple factors, and I think the community. I think that's what's kind of we've all woken up to. Like, wow, this is interesting. Like. One thing that we've woken up to is the value of the community. Like, I don't think there's any question that, I mean, I think Topshop probably started that. Like, I mean, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe Larva Labs and CryptoKitties and there were other communities that were ahead of Topshop. But when when January, what I'm talking about is like, in terms of like material numbers, when, when January came around and Topshop went through the roof and they onboarded a whole bunch of people, um, into this space this this past January, which you know, again feels like forever ago, and it was like six months ago. And like, there was a bunch of people that were having fun. They were trading. It was like it felt like one part, probably felt like one part stock market, one part gambling, one part collecting. Um, but there's no question there was there was community there. I wasn't part of it. I I only own one Top Shot. I played around with it at that time when I was going through my rabbit hole, but. You can see now in retrospect how how much community there even is in the top shot space. So and then board apes like took that to a whole other level. And so now like with these Discord communities and Twitter communities and like you know crypto is very tribal anyway. So there's a lot of utility in the community, and and then there could be additional utility through um, if you're looking to get other value out of it, whether it be to you know sell your NFT or to get access to something. And I I don't think that takes away though from the value of the art and and how somebody can value that. So I just think it. De- what I'm getting at is it depends on you. In my opinion, what we've learned is like there's a lot of different you know strokes for different folks in terms of like how people see utility, how they value, like what they mean by utility. And I I think that's what's so interesting about this space is you know what are we talking about? There's like there's probably like outside of Top Shot and Axie Infinity. Uh, and, and maybe Zed Run, but I'm saying like even maybe even including Zed Run, there's maybe like fifty thousand active people in this space right now. Like that's crazy to think about. I mean, maybe maybe it goes up to a hundred thousand, include all the art buyers. But like, it's it's an incredibly small global space. Um, again, outside of Top Shot and Axie, which are just amazing platforms um, and have much bigger numbers than those. But uh, so that's what I'm getting at is like we don't even know yet what utility is going to mean it's evolving so fast and and i and that's what makes this for me what makes this space so attractive because you know again going back to kind of the original question you asked is as a consumer brand because you you don't usually get this level of um of a blank canvas to play with when you want to sort of uh engage with your brand and do something interesting and and we're we're definitely in that space right now it's a very creative space so, you know, this past weekend, or this past week, I should say, um, Nifty's dropped a Space Jam NFT that was free, right? So it was in release of the movie, in, in, in advance of release of the movie. Did you see that? And what was your sort of thoughts on 
that as a as a strategy uh, for marketing because I'm I'm just wondering, did people go see that movie because of the NFT? And I would be I, I would definitely think that for some people it put it front of mind in the NFT community who maybe weren't. Um, and, and it was a clunky drop, no doubt about it. There were issues, um, things were missing, things were popping back into wallets. But I think the overall idea of giving someone something of value for free um, got people yeah. talking for sure. I think it was brilliant. And what I mean by that, why it was so, it wasn't like brilliant, like, oh my God, nobody ever thought of that. Or like, it was so successful. Although maybe both, I think it was brilliant because I think right now as a brand, if you're not paying attention to this space, if you're not experimenting in this space, you're missing out and you're, uh, and I, you know, the beauty of NFTs, like I was go back to the examples I was giving earlier is that you know, again, putting aside mint costs and you, and you brought up appropriately that those are going to go down to almost zero. Like it is, it doesn't cost you very much to, to give something of actual value to somebody now. Um, and actual value, meaning like, I don't just mean like what it trades on in the after secondary market. I mean, like people can say, I own this thing. And then of course it creates energy. People are talking about it. Like if space jam had just done, you know, their usual tactics of, Happy, happy meal happy meal exactly we have and they did they did have, it we was have there one of those lebron james characters sitting in our house right now um <laughs> the uh is, is that like if they had just done that like i don't think I, I i don't think it would have been as effective as if they were sort of pushing the envelope and so i I'm, i think it was a great idea and to give in my airdropping or giving away an nft for brands i think is going to be very very common and what i mean by that is if you're a brand you're used to having a cost structure around your product or service. And that cost structure involves people and rent and cost of goods sold and supply chains and overhead. You know, it's like, so you, you're used to thinking that way. And then you've got your paid media budgets and your marketing budgets and whatever on top of that. And so it went, once brands get their brain around, like, wait a minute, you mean that I can actually, as, as part of my marketing, I can actually manufacture something digital and give it to my customers around whatever brand engagement rules and game game mechanics, meaning marketing that I want to in, in marketing and engagement that I want to create. Like that is a, you know, boom, you know, mind blowing moment. I think for brand marketers to realize like, oh, it costs me very little to try things and, and to give things. And, and so that's why I think the space jam, um, tactic was really, really smart. And it, it sounds as if they're going to allow those assets to be decentralized and move off of their marketplace immediately. So, I mean, again, to that notion of understanding the community and what the community would value, right? Um, not having it stuck to where you couldn't do anything with it, um, it is, is an example of this. So the, yeah, that's a great point. Um, Adam, anything you want to plug or talk about or anything else you want to jump into before we wrap up today? I want to be respectful of your time. Oh, God, no, I don't want to plug anything. I'm glad to have been here. And uh, I'm just, uh, I love following you on Twitter. And I'm still, you know, the only thing I would say to people listening is, and I'm sure they know this, is I'm still learning. Like, I'm really honored and flattered that you would have me on here. But I'm I'm still in beginner's mind right now on this whole thing. And um, so I'm, I'm glad to be here. And I'm, I'm learning more from everybody else. Trust me. Yeah, but I think your unique perspective of having these experiences with these really rich and established consumer brands, uh, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens with that and who 
is the first one, you know, and, and we talked a little bit about V friends in, in Gary, but what I think Gary got at the very onset that no one else did was this idea of he created value for people to hold his asset. He, he, from the jump before he even released it said, you're going to get into VCon with this. You might have a chance to win a prize or, and, and so he really created this comprehensive utility that it turned it from just day trading and flipping, in my opinion, to holding for long-term value that's sentimental, not just financial. Yeah, Gary, I'll, I'll say one last thing on this. I'm glad you brought up Gary V. Gary is the real deal. And um, I learned so much from him every day. And he, he, what he did was so interesting and so smart. He actually, yes, he created utility for the reasons you mentioned by saying, I'm going to create a real world conference and he's, he has credibility that he's going to pull it off. And he has a community of people that believe in his brand and what he says. And so that instantly had value to them. And so he create, he bootstrapped and created his own digital flywheel of utility through vFriends just by, by putting those pieces together in that way. And what I think is so instructive to other brands about what he did, and I know he said he's doing this as a blueprint. So kudos to Gary, and I'm learning from him, is that... He, in a weird way, kind of fractionalized his brand a little bit. Like he, he basically said, look, I've got brand credibility and he's the number one person to understand that he's, he's like, and how important, but also how, 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 how responsible he has to be with this. But he was like, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and put my brand reputation on the line by saying, I'm going to, I'm going to create this collection and I'm going to work hard for it. I'm going to create this utility through through a bunch of future actions and he had credibility to do that. And brands can, any brand can do that. His brand is him, right? Yeah. It's his brain. It's his name. It's his sort of attitude and his, and, and the credibility that he has established. Okay. So his brand is about credibility. Other brands, their brand is about their product. It's about their, their community. It's about their whatever. So they can take a page out of this playbook and say, well, what do we have? Like, it's going to be incredible when consumer brands sort of realize that, wait a minute, there's these other people out there, and I'm not including Gary Vee because he's already done it in a different way, but like there's these other collections out there that are creating community and energy and value just out of nothing, out of like just creativity and entrepreneurial spirit and, and some cool art Um and, some, and, and, and like, imagine if you had all of those things and a consumer brand and millions of dollars of value that you wanted to fractionalize and give to your community. Like, it is going to be incredible when that happens. And, and conversely, when Mike Tyson creates a Twitter account and throws a, a cool cat up as his PFP, everyone's just saying, get the hell out of here with this. Like, this is just a money grab. So you're right in the sense that simply attaching yourself as a celebrity or as a brand to a product if it comes off as disingenuous and uh, if it lacks authenticity, people are not going to be interested in any way uh, in supporting that. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was saying I, I, my biggest advice I'd say to any brand is, you know, don't just try to like bolt this on. I mean, you couldn't do that in web one or web two. You got to get people that know that are in this space. And the good news is like this space, uh, I'll just end by saying this, this space is amazing. Like you're in a good example of this. Like I, this is the most warm and warm and inviting and, and creative community I've ever been a part of. And it doesn't mean there aren't scammers and shillers and 
other things like that. There are, of course, but like it is it, on the whole, it's one of the warmest, most creative, most inviting and interesting set of people I've ever been involved with. And I don't know any of them because they're all like anonymous, which yeah. I think is so interesting in this whole Web3 decentralized anonymity kind of thing. And and yet there, I, I've never met such a great group of people. So there's a lot of great people in this space that brands can tap into. And I think the early adopters in the space, you know, I, I hope a bunch of them get tapped on the shoulder to help out with these brands because, you know, those of us that are in this space right now, uh, we're, we're sort of the pioneers and we're sort of learning. So it's kind of fun. It's interesting. I think out of all my episodes, I think three people have utilized their real names for the, uh, as, as guests. So, uh, yeah. you're, you're spot on Adam Brodman. Thank you so much for joining today. Uh, hope to have you back on in the future and, uh, thanks for, um, bringing your expertise into the NFT arena and NFT space for us to learn from. Really appreciate it. Anytime. Great to be here. There you have it. I want to thank my special guest, Adam Brotman. Uh, I hope you found that as interesting as I did. Going to be bringing you a bunch of episodes this week, but check out my fellow Pack Rip Media content creators. Of course, Pack Rip Ewing, Adam Fish, Chris Otis, Top Shot Swicky, uh, there's a, a, and Joe Swam. So there's a lot of good people to check out. You'll see all of their contact information and Twitter handles in the show notes, but get ready. Pack Rip Media is coming your way. Uh, again, thank you so much for the reviews, the shares, and the downloads as we cross the 5,000 uh, download threshold. And we're going to hit 10,000 before you know it. So appreciate all of your support as always. And uh, we'll talk soon. Take care and stay safe.